and welcome to Fitzgerald Wild, everybody. I'm your host, Matt, and this week, before we get to our episode, I needed to let you know about a little scheduling change. Uh, due to me moving back over an ocean, we're going to be switching to an every-other-week release in September. Uh, I hope you all can forgive me for that, I've got to get some things situated, but we'll be back onto our normal schedule by October, and I have some really fun guests lined up for that. Enjoy the episode. And our guest today is returning guest, Christina Woods. Christina, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. I think this is, is this my hat trick episode? I think this is official friend of the show status, and you get the shirt whenever they happen. So, welcome yes. aboard the train. I'll put it on my resume. Woo! Uh, so... Christina, what are we talking about today? All right, today we are going to be talking about a selection of some of my personal favorite webcomics. Oh boy, uh, I, I love me some webcomics. Uh, you know, I've kind of gone in and out over the years, but I love webcomics just as a medium, and you chose five that I had never encountered before, so... Oh, really? I yeah. am, I know that you had mentioned that you had one in particular that you wanted to talk about when I brought up the idea... Uh, I will ask you off the recording which that one is because I had a very hard time narrowing down which ones I was going to talk about today. So I'm hoping to maybe in the future come back for a for an episode two of favorite web comics and maybe they'll overlap. You know, I, I feel pretty confident that we can make that happen. So uh, let's uh, sweet let's, action. Yeah, let's dive right in on this. What's the first one we're going to talk about? All right, the first webcomic is called A Red Tail's Dream, uh, with art and plot and everything by uh, Minna Sundberg. I may not be pronouncing that correctly because she is Finnish, uh, so you can read this this webcomic in both English and Finnish. Uh, And she has a separate website set up where you can read through the entirety of A Red Tail's Dream because it is completed. Awesome. And uh, for our listeners going forward in the comments or in the description of this episode uh, with the normal um, name of what we cover, there's also going to be links. So you can find everything down there. Um, So tell me what A Red Tail's Dream is about, just uh, very briefly, and then uh, tell me what it is that you love about this one. Okay, well, A Red Tail's Dream is a fantasy webcomic with a basis in Finnish mythology. Uh, and the main plot of it is that a guy, kind of a, a, la- a guy who is, he's really lazy and he doesn't have a lot of aspirations or ambition. He's just kind of one of those people who coasts through life and, you know, hangs out with his dog a lot. Uh, but one day on his way back from, uh, from work and hanging out with some people in town, uh, he and his dog get more or less press ganged into helping uh, fix the problems that are caused by, uh, I think they call him Puppy Fox, which is a celestial being that, uh, especially in like Finnish mythology, is in charge of like organizing the way that things happen and occur in reality. And he has made some mistakes, and so he recruits them to fix his mistakes before his parents find out. Uh, see, that's just a great, fun little premise there. Um, I'm I'm a oh, yeah. big fan of mythology, just in general. And mm-hmm. anytime when I get to see mythology that isn't kind of the bog Western standard yes. um, Greco-Roman basic, mythology, it's basic great. Greco-Roman. Yes, we all know Zeus and Athena and Hera and Poseidon and everyone. 
and but no that's that's one of the things that i love about this about this webcomic too is that it's is that part well partially because uh minna sunberg who create who created it is finnish herself um it's pulling from a source of mythology that i personally being a being a white woman in the united states that i am not familiar with and she and she doesn't necessarily do strict interpretations of the of finnish mythology but she gives it all her own flair and it's and she just has this really interesting pantheon of gods which are very fallible as evidenced by the fact that the action is set in is set into course by a god making a big mistake so what else is it that you that you really find interesting about this uh about the story or about the uh, the art or you know just kind of what else is it that really draws you into this comic well the one of i'm an illustrator and one of so one of the big drugs for anything for me is the art and minna's art is just incredible uh she has especially a very big uh she's she plays a lot of a lot around with limited color palettes and through the course of a red tail's dream uh the main character and his dog they travel to i believe it's like seven or eight different worlds and each world is rendered in its own in its own like in its own main hue so like one world will be more red tinged one world is more green one is more purple and so there's that easy visual distinction between which reality they're in at the time and she has she also does a lot with mood lighting and uh heavy contrasts um so and her art her, yeah her art really pops the the first page of this whole story uh page one is a beautiful like i part of it looks almost maybe watercolor i'm not sure but it's like yeah. a, a deep blues in the sky like in a starscape uh down to a, a purples and then a white as it moves down into like a snowy forest landscape mm-hmm. and it's it's really, really beautiful art. Like it's just some really good stuff to look at. Oh yeah, she does. She does really great stuff, and her art only improves as the Wemp comic progresses. Uh, she also has another comic that she's running right now called uh, "Stand Still, Stay Silent," which is, and just the amount that her art improves as this as these comics run on is is really awe inspiring. So it's got a lot of great art. I also really like about Red Tail's Dream. Uh, how it uses a lot of through the fantasy settings um, in every like individual realm that the main character and his dog go through in order to fix uh, puppy fox's mistakes they have to they have to rectify like personal problems among the people of the town that the main character is from and so it's not as it's not necessarily like a go out and fix all the world's problems it's it's talked to this char- it's talked to this girl who the main character was kind of friends with but he's always rude to her and it offends her and so now it's causing this big rift within this little mini dimension and they have he has to make it up to her in order to solve this realm affecting issue that's that's a really that's an interesting kind of meta framework over the story that that oh, what yeah. goes on in that one small setting ripples out into the wider world oh yeah and also the main in a lot of in a lot of stories it's very and narratives it's very easy to have the main character be you know the the perfect golden boy where 
everything he does is perfect and correct and there's no and there's no real uh there's no main issues with whatever he's doing and oh his drama is just oh my family died and now i have to get over it uh and yes i'm aware that i was using male pronouns throughout that but that's a topic for a different fifth draw uh, <laughs> um but in a red tail's dream the main character is an un is a mostly unrepentant jerk uh, who does care about his friends and especially his dog his dog is his best friend uh but he does but he does care a lot about them and even and through his journey he does he does grow to i guess you could say like express affection more often and and in more and in more i guess receptive ways to other people but he does not necessarily change his entire personality throughout the course of the story so he he does undergo he does undergo development and he does change from this but he but it's not a complete like character reversal he doesn't go from the from the raging behemoth to the perfect and nurturing i don't know warrior or whatever he's a jerk and he becomes less of a jerk that's that's an interesting take on the hero's journey that that typically gets presented in these things so I, I appreciate that. Um, what is mm -hmm. the second comic we're going to talk about? All right. The second comic is one of my favorites. I think it is the third webcomic I ever tried to read. Uh, well, not tried to read. It's the, it's the third one I ever really got interested in. And it is called Namesake. Namesake is a webcomic uh, that is uh, written by Megan LaVey Heaton and uh, with art by Isabel Melancon. Uh, and you can read it through the Hiveworks uh, comics website. I'm going to be talking about Hiveworks a lot with some of these other some of these other web comics. Um, it's a big aggregate for a lot of web comics. Not it's not the only one, but it's a big hub. Uh, but yes, and Namesake is really great. Yeah, it looks really interesting. Um, the art is a, a vastly different style from from Red Tail, mm -hmm. and. Like talk talk to us a little bit about what the core of this story is, because that's a really interesting hook for me. the The core story of Namesake is that it's a fantasy. Um, it draws a lot on a bunch of different stories and mythology, because uh, the main plot is about this girl named Emma. She's from Canada. I think she's actually from Quebec, uh, but she is just at the library picking up her sister, and then all of a sudden she gets drawn into this interdimensional portal and she ends up in Oz she has to go through Oz and play the role of Dorothy only they keep insisting like oh yeah well every Dorothy is named Dorothy and like no but my name's Emma and that just starts off this big waterfall of just everything coming together and I would say that at its core namesake is essentially like the in it's at the intersection point between a lot of like myths and legends and fables and that's one of the things that i love the most about it is that the is that the creators uh isa and meg they weave together so many different narratives and stories like they incorporate uh they incorporate alice in wonderland that plays a really big role uh they have thumbelina incorporated uh of course obviously wizard the wizard of oz and not just the the canon mostly associated with, you know, the Judy Garland movie, The Wizard of Oz. They bring in information from the other Oz books. And they talk about, like, Jack and the Beanstalk and the Goblin Market and so many different fables from all different cultures. 
that they weave together into this cohesive storyline where characters can travel between different stories and the, and the people who can travel into these different narratives are called namesakes. And Emma is kind of a namesake, but she's kind of not. And I, that's all I'm going to say because I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Uh, now, some, some people that are listening um, may have, have heard my other podcast, Hard Reboot, where me and Alan and Jake uh, reboot public domain stories. And I think we might have said this on, on the actual show. Um, if not, it's just kind of a house rule that we're never touching Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Uh and if you've heard that, you might think that it's because, oh, Matt doesn't like these stories. Wrong. I love those stories. And I love all the different, like, evolutions that have, and all the different takes that have been made on them. And the reason we're not ever going to do them on Hard Reboot, outside of maybe a long down the road Patreon bonus, if you really make us do that, listeners, that's for future Matt to worry about. Uh, the reason we're not <laughs> ever going to do that is because so many other people have done it with... I think everyone can admit varying degrees of success, but the the story as presented here, like weaving those together, that's an amazing that's an amazing narrative that they're crafting, and that's one of the things that's making me really want to dig into namesake. Oh man, it's such a wild ride. Yeah, so like this this one. And I, th- I think probably the most out of all five that we're talking about today is the one that I'm going to like add into my my reading schedule so that I can try to drill through it. Yes, and good get the story. Um, but it's because they're weaving together all these fairly common stories. Uh, oh, yeah. And they even pull a lot from like older translations of or different versions of different fables. Like they pull from the Goblin Market, which is one that I wasn't. I was a I was a big mythology nerd and like fable nerd growing up, but I hadn't heard of the Goblin Market before. So and they incorporate that. They use uh, they char- they have a character who is related to uh, to the to the Seven Swans, the one where the the one where the sister has her siblings turn into swans and they all have to run away. And she and the, that character is um, I think she is yeah she's Muslim. I don't remember if she's Indian or not. Um, but, like, they pull from a different interpretation other than, you know, just, like, the standard European version of it. And that, like, hearing that more than anything makes me so thrilled uh, just to really read this this webcomic. I I love, and this is part of the reason why I started Hard Reboot with those guys. I love taking these, these well-known stories and mm-hmm. just kind of turning them on their head or... You know, looking at it from a different angle entirely, just because oh, there's yeah. so there's so much meat to those stories and so many different ways that you can adapt it and do new things with it. And this comic seems to do it really, really well. Oh yeah, they they do it so well. There are there are so many twists and turns, uh, it, even on like even on the characters themselves. Uh, and since you are clearly raring to go on reading it, I don't. I'm not gonna go too much into the characters themselves. But there are there are so many twists and turns, and they do it so well. Uh, they manage. They have. They have such namesake has a really wide and diverse cast. They rep. They have people from. They have people from all nations 
and of all faiths. Uh, there are people in the cast, the main cast of characters, who are religious. There are people who are not religious. Uh, there's people from Europe and America and Canada. And uh, like I said, the um, her name is Nandita. She doesn't show up until pretty, pretty recently in the story. Uh, but she is from uh, Asia and the Middle East. Uh, they've got they've got people of all different gender identities and sexualities. Uh, they've done at one point they did a whole they did they did a relationship chart illustration that demonstrates you know how all of these different characters from these different realities and universes interact with each other and how they're all linked and they and yet they they manage this this I, I don't want to use the word zoo because that implies that it's like they're animals and they're not but this whole motley crew of characters they they keep track of them so well and they always know where their pieces are and everyone gets development nobody is ever a really one-sided character that's really awesome and th so this is still an ongoing one correct oh gosh yeah they uh i don't i don't even know how long it's going to be going um but it's i think it started in probably like 2010 2011 something like that i'd have to go back and check their website to make sure but it's been going on for a long time and hopefully it will continue on for a long time because i really love their story and like again, like I like I said, I'm an illustrator, so the art is just so incredible, and it improves so much. Uh, Isabel Melancon, the artist, she's gone back and she's redrawn a lot of like the cover art for the different chapters of Namesake, and I think she's redrawn some of the earlier pages too. But you can you can see as it progresses, like the way that her art is developing. Her big her big uh, artistic trait is they use a very selective color in Namesake. So a lot of the times it's like just a pop of color for the for things that are particularly linked to the namesakes in particular. Uh, and then everything else is just a lot of incredibly intricate line work that I, as an illustrator, just I'm just in awe of because it takes so much patience to try and just it takes so much patience to get that to get those delicate and intricate lines onto the paper. And it just gives such a, it has such a, I'm trying to figure out a good way to say it. It's just, it's so much like illustrations that you would find in like a really like ancient and like almost like magical like books. Like the ones you find at a library where like they kind of smell like vanilla because they're so old that the binding glue has kind of decayed or degraded. But they've got those intricate illustrations and it is... It, that that to me that's part of what makes namesake so magical. That's really awesome. Like this is this is definitely one I'm excited to dive into. So let's um Good, I'm doing my job. <laughs> you're doing it well. Let's move on to our third comic. Alright. The third webcomic today is Daughter of the Lilies, uh, with writing and uh writing and line work by Meg uh Sivarud. And colors by Jessica Weaver, also known as Yoko or or Nitrinia. I think that's her other main username on the internet. It's another fantasy comic that originally had its roots. Its roots were kind of similar to Dungeons and Dragons, but it's really but that's basically where the similarities end. And Daughter of the Lilies is about uh, the adventures of a group of pretty of really kind-hearted mercenaries. Well, most of them. I can't make any. I can't make any guarantees about Lyra, but uh, it's the adventures of a group of mostly kind-hearted mercenaries 
uh, and especially focusing on the main character, whose name is Thistle. Okay, yeah, uh, they've they've got a, a cast page that shows off all these characters, and it is a uh, it's a crew. That's a that's I would describe that as motley. Oh yeah, definitely. What's what's the what's the story? You said it's kind of tied to D and D, so I'm assuming kind of your standard high fantasy race. I would say that it's middle to high fantasy. Um, there are some. There are some hints that Meg and Yoko have dropped in recent, in recent, uh, I guess you could say like chapters of the story that it didn't used to be such high fantasy, but it is, I would say that it definitely classifies as middle to high fantasy. I mean, one of the main, the main characters are an orc, uh, a a 75% uh, human fighter, and there's an elf, and no one knows exactly what Thistle is. There, there are many, Meg calls them the Thistle theories uh, on what Thistle's ident- physical identity actually is. I mean, she's definitely female, but no one knows, like, physically what she is. Is she human? Is she elven? Is she... Some people are like, oh, she's a robot. She's an angel. But it, it hasn't been actually confirmed yet. So who knows? So it's the, uh, it's the Final Fantasy IX uh, VV problem. I am not, I'm not familiar with Final Fantasy IX, but sure. Oh, oh, Vivi, my sweet boy, is just the best black mage. And, oh, listen, everyone should go play Final Fantasy IX, okay, you guys? It's real good. Um, so, so what's, what's kind of the, the general, let's, let's hit again, let's hit on the general kind of story hook behind this, and, uh, and keep talking about this one. This one, this one seemed real interesting, and, uh, I feel like, I feel like this, uh, Lyra character is someone that, uh, a certain Shannon Maynard would probably enjoy. Oh yes, Shannon, 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 and uh, Lyra, Lyra would be like best friends. That is not even a question. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the part of the main, the main, I guess you say like the igniter for this story is that uh, the main three of the main characters, Oreg, Brent, and Lyra, are looking for a fourth member to fill out their kind of their mostly benevolent mercenary team. Uh, Oreg is the one in charge. He's an orc, and he is the grumpy dad uh, who is, like, the best manager that you could ask for. Uh, Brent is the one who is... He's the fighter, and he's grumpy. Uh, he doesn't... He, he doesn't like to talk about feelings. Uh, and Lyra is the one who will who will get drunk in a bar and fight you. Uh, and she is the archer. And so they put up, essentially, a help-wanted ad, and in comes Thistle, who is a mage... And Thistle's big thing is that uh, she is that the only like the only body part that you can distinctly see are her eyes and her eyebrows. Like you can't see anything in her face, so no one knows what she really looks like. Which is where the which is where the Thistle theories come from. Uh, so they bring in Thistle to help them uh, to help them essentially clear out a cave of like cave rats or like goblins. And from there, it just it just sparks this big long adventure because Thistle has. A very secret past, and that I don't want to spoil too much of, but uh, but there is definitely there are definitely some mysteries as to her origin and where she came from, and the source of her magic powers. And so a lot of the stories about them so far, a lot of the stories about them interacting as a group and kind of becoming teammates and coworkers along the way. So a lot of one of the things that I love about daughters of the about daughter of the lilies is that uh, is that there is just such 
there are such interesting characters. Like, the character designs are all really unique. Um, a lot of the times, Megan Yoko will feature uh, Patreons or uh, other supporters, like, characters sometimes, if the, I guess if they're at a high enough tier, of... Like, they'll feature the characters from these backers, and so and they have such a wide and diverse, like, cast and supporting cast. There's different body types, there's, uh, and they have such distinct personalities, like, little, well, not little, she's average height, but Precious Thistle, who is the, who just wants everyone to be happy, and she wants to enjoy her flowers, and make and like she uses her magic at one point to entertain a group of kids that are playing in the street and she makes like a like a glowing dragon and everything and it's super precious uh of course contrasted then with the grumpiness of the the comparative grumpiness of the rest of her team and so there there is that aspect too which is great uh once again the art is really gorgeous um especially uh at the beginning, when it first started, uh, Meg was doing all of the art and writing herself. Uh, but she, but eventually Yoko joined the team, and uh, and she and Yoko just do some really incredible things with like all the coloring and the lighting for this group of adventurers in the whole comic, especially in the in the most recent chapter, uh, which I don't want to spoil anything of because you guys all should go read it. All right. Well, this uh, this seems like just a really is is it fair to say that this one is is really kind of centered around the characters with the world as like just more of a stage rather than rather than the main plot device like do the characters really carry the story more than the world as a setting I would say that at least at least throughout like the first couple of chapters that is more of the case but since it is still since it's still ongoing and developing like I'd say they probably like just kind of finished act 1 comparatively and I'm not obviously I'm not on the creative team, so I don't know where they're going with it. But they are starting, but they are opening up the world a lot more to how to how it works, and to the main character's place in it. So the first, like the first couple of chapters, are more definitely more character focused, but it is opening up. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I asked that as the the first when we looked at Red Tail. That one was its story was derived from its world, which was you know the Finnish mythology. Um, oh yeah. And in the second one, uh, in Namesake, the story is derived from its worlds in that it's all these other worlds blended together. Mm-hmm. And so oh, this yeah. one really seems like it's one of those where uh, they're like, oh, well, we've got this stock fantasy, wor- stock fantasy world, and we're going to tell the story just based on these characters. It's not quite so stock, but more or less. It, okay. it definitely starts out with a pretty... You can definitely like tell that it, like was kind of inspired by some Dungeons and Dragons, but it has very quickly moved away from that start into its own world. And that's that's really what the best of these like fan of of what every fantasy story does is it takes, you know, the standard recipe of fantasy and then shakes it up with with their own originality. Um anyone who ever read the uh, Shannara series mm-hmm. uh is probably really familiar with this. Uh, if you read the first Shannara story, The Sword of Truth, that is the most vanilla, basic, plain and simple fantasy story of all time, to the point where it's kind of actually boring to read now because everyone has done that story. Mm-hmm. Take the MacGuffin, kill the MacGuffin, bad guy loses. That's that's the story. Um, but when they started shaking in their own ideas, it really got 
it developed its own identity. So that's the really the best way to play with fantasy, in my opinion. And it seems like this daughter of Lily's does that really well. Oh yeah, they uh, especially with um, the different the different aspects of the narrative that Meg and Yoko incorporate. Like one of the big uh, some of the big things in Daughter of the Lilies uh, are there are that there are so many different approaches to magic in in this canon. Like there's Thistle's magic, which seems to be mostly self-taught. Although I'm sure that we'll hear more about that as as the characters develop and we get to delve into Thistle's backstory. Um, but there's like a school where they teach all different kinds of magic, and you can see different methods and learnings of how it is cultivated within the students. Um, but it also takes a, a look at redemption and like what people have to do to uh, and what people have to do to, I guess, earn redemption or salvation. And that especially plays into the, the second big arc, which just wrapped up a couple of months ago. So again, I don't want to spoil that too much. Um, another one of the big focuses for Namesake is that it has a really big influence from religion. And it's not necessarily, and I mean, disclaimer here, I'm Catholic. I, 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 so I'm very familiar with religion and how sometimes it can be beating you over the head with, with like symbolism and everything. But it's, Daughter of the Lilies is very spiritual and, and it's, it's kind of faith-based, but it's not necessarily like a, like a beat you over the head or a, only only certain people can get through the eye of the needle and into heaven's gates or whatever but it especially as the series especially as like you read through it it that force comes through more and more which i know is something that uh meg and yoko have talked about in the past because they both are they both are religious but neither one of them knew that until they found that they were working towards the same goal and it's it's really heartwarming and as and as someone who yes is uh, more more spiritual and religious, it is it's really great to see that in a way that's not, you know, beating over the head with this is right and this is wrong and everything must be the way that my faith says that it is. Yeah, so. it's there's there's um speaking as someone who's was raised in the church and and who has also studied literature and history and things like that. Uh, you know the the symbolic side of religion is that way because it's so powerful and because oh, yeah. it, it, it easily conveys ideas. Like whatever your belief, uh, chase your own bliss, man. I mean, you, you do what you got to do to, to everyone out there. Uh, be happy and well, um, especially right now. Cause life is crazy at the minute. Um, Oh boy. Ain't that it? was, yeah. Um, <laughs> And that's anyway, still going to be relevant uh, whenever this comes out. I mean, yeah, listen, it's a weird world. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, you don't have, you, you can see the same kinds of stories have been repeated throughout history because they resonate in some way. Um, mm-hmm. a, a comparative comparative religion class will teach you that pretty much on day one if it's taught by a good professor, a great professor will probably ease you into that a little bit more and let you discover it on your own. But you know, whatever you learn how you learn. Um, I was going somewhere with this and I think I passed the point. So, uh, <laughs> what, what is, what's our fourth? Comic? Okay. The fourth, 
The fourth webcomic is uh, com- is a completely different track. Uh, this one is called Oh Human Star uh, by Blue Delaquanti. Uh, I think I might be pronouncing that right. Uh, and it, this one also is available on Hiveworks. And this one is a science fiction, uh, and ki- it's kind of a science fiction and and kind of LGBTQA uh, comic. I guess that would be kind of the genres that I would describe it as. But it's more so science fiction than like gender politics and commentary comic. Okay, so so what's the overall story of this one? Because this is the one that I that I had kind of the hardest time really kind of wrapping my head around the. Mm-hmm. The kind of general about page that it gave me. So, Oh Human Star is mainly, it mainly follows around the story of uh, this guy, Alistair Sterling, uh, who was a robotics innovator and inventor. Like, he did uh, the part of it is that Oh Human Star follows kind of, it has kind of like three different like time frames that it operates in the past, the, the far past, the recent past, and the present. Um, so the basic outline is that there was, uh, so it follows the life and death and second life of this guy, Alistair Sterling, who was a robotics innovator and made great advancements in the world of robotics, uh, despite being, uh, despite being not, despite being very introverted and not always able to relate to his, to his co-workers and, like, his finance, and his financiers and everything like that. Uh, but then he died suddenly, and then the, and then he is brought back to life in, in, as, essentially as a, well, for, as a, life essentially as, like, a life model decoy, for those of you that are familiar with that concept. So he, he looks... And he thinks and he feels like a human, but he is now an artificial life form. And he, he doesn't know why or how or who brought him back to life. And now he has to deal with that kind of falling out and rebuilding like relationships from his past uh, because life continued on without him. And meeting up with his uh, with his with his coworkers slash co-inventor Brendan, uh, who has had a life since Alistair died. So it 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 does have a lot of moving pieces. Uh, so it can be kind of like you said, Matt. It can be a little bit difficult to kind of like wrap your head around sometimes, like how the different pieces interact. Uh, but Blue has Blue definitely has a plan, and as you read more you get to find out about how all these different pieces interact and interlock and how they've affected other parts of the story. That's a really interesting idea. Any any of those like sudden reincarnation kind of tales are pretty great usually. Um mm-hmm. if if they're done if they're done with any of the attention that that that, that subject kind of requires, um, oh, they're going to yeah. be a fun. And this one really sounds like it's it's kind of nailed the human side of it for sure. Oh gosh, yeah. That is the nature of humanity and like what makes us human is definitely a big, big, big part of what is important with this webcomic. Um, it it definitely addresses a lot of like, well, like is is Alistair really himself? Is he really a human now that he is living in this robotic body? What about other what about other entities who who are, who are in kind of the same situation where they have where they have their own identities but they're in artificial life forms like 
there's a character who has uh, who has a couple of really really neat prosthetics uh, that are that are obviously cybernetic in nature. Like does like how much does this affect like her humanity? Uh, and at the same time, it also tells a lot of really human stories, um, such as like um, such as like Alistair's life story and how he became the innovator and inventor that he did. And his interactions with Brendan and how they, how they have, how they supported each other and how Brendan was able to, I guess, overcome the grief of Alistair's death and how Brendan was able to continue the work that he was doing, even though maybe not in quite the same forms as Alistair would have, would have continued on had he, had he lived continuously and not died, lived and died and then lived again. Okay. Yeah, it's that... not Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> Although that'd be really rad. So tell me, tell me a little bit about the art because this yet again looks like a vastly different art style. Oh yeah, uh, with the art for this, uh, I mean Blue is the one who Blue is the writer and the illustrator. And one big thing that one big aspect of it is that uh, for the different time periods, Blue does different. She also uses limited color palettes. Uh, so she will do like uh, like the the time frame, uh, the time frame that is regarded as the present is set in. It's rendered in a lot of uh, in a lot of blue tones, and the far past. So when uh, when Brendan and Alistair first met, that's in reds, and I'm trying to get the visual reference as to when the when the recent past is. I, actually, I guess it's just in the two different color tones. So the the far past is is the, is in reds, and then the pe- the present is in blues, um, which is a pretty good divider between what time frame that everyone is working in. Another thing with blues art is that she has a lot of diversity in between all of the bo- all the characters. Like there's different, there are so many different body types. Like Alistair is definitely. Uh, he's definitely a, a heavier set man with a big frame and Brendan is shorter and skinnier. I mean, by the time that Alistair gets revived, he is obviously older and he's, you know, put on weight and stuff, but there's different, there's different body types between the male characters and the female characters. And there are characters who are non-binary. Uh, one of the main characters is trans, although I don't want to spoil it by saying who, um, and it addresses a lot of those, like body issue, body image issues, and like gender identity issues. But it's all handled so well and tactfully. And the robots are super cool. <laughs> Listen, if you're gonna have robots, they better be cool robots. Oh yeah, they're so cool. And oh, one one big thing is that uh, I think Alistair and maybe Brendan too. Uh, is that at least one of them is Jewish, and so all the different models of robots are named after characters from Hebrew. They're named after Hebrew characters. So, like, they've got characters, they've got different models that are named, you know, like, like, Aleph and Gimel. I think one of them is eventually, like, like, they work their way up through the alphabet, and so you can tell, like, how, like, what model these are based on how high, high up they are in the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, that's a really, that's much better than, again, kind of the Greco-Roman alpha, beta, gamma, etc. Oh, yeah. And I am, I, I am not any kind of 
uh, Hebrew studies scholar, but I'm sure that there is probably something to be said about like how how they are named and these robots, especially in like how they relate to like golems, uh, and how those kind how those how those relationships kind of interact between robotic life and then golems as they exist in in Hebrew culture and everything. So, but that is that is some that is something for someone who is more qualified than I am to talk about. If if they're using the Hebrew alphabet and things like that, then it's there's almost certainly going to be golem references in there, right? I mm-hmm. I don't know why you would choose that that setting flavor without aiming in that direction, and that could be a fun thing to play with. There's a lot behind that story. Oh yeah, there's so much. So um, let's uh, let's head on down to our third one, and this one. Fifth one. Thanks, Monty Python. We're on number five. Now for something completely different. Five, sir. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear about this one. Tell us what this one is. All right. This, the, the fifth and final one, at least for today, is called The World in Deeper Introspection. Uh, but it is more, av- more commonly available by its website, the URL of which is just Alcott Grimsley. Uh, and it is by, uh, I'm going to mess up her, the pronunciation of her name. I'm sorry. I think it's Ramina Ashel Yee. Uh, she's an illustrator, and this webcomic is a gothic and is a gothic horror fantasy set in Victorian England. Oh man, I I I have to tell you, all those last words right there, gothic horror Victorian, <laughs> that is every one of my like just go to buttons, and oh man, um, when 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 you guys go look at these comics. When you go to the first page, and that's where we'll link you, is to the first page of each one of these. The image on this first page, I I don't, I can't even, guys, it's freaking gorgeous. And it's gothic as all get out. It is. Oh, yeah. It is so gothic. It's bananas. And, so, and um, we mean we mean gothic as in, as in historical gothic, not as in I'm going to hot topic gothic. Yeah. Uh, um. Listen, again, you do you, but we're talking about good gothic, not gross, greasy hair, emo kid gothic. Um, And if you are a gross, greasy, emo hair kid listening, man, again, if you're happy, you do you, but maybe wash your hair, bud. Um, (laughs) So, Christina, tell tell us, oh gosh, I'm going to hold self back from asking about the art on this one. Tell me about this story first. It's okay, I'll get to it, I promise. Yes, tell Uh, me about the story here first. Okay, the story of of the world in deeper introspection is about Alcott Grimsley, who is a Jersey devil. Uh, So for those of you who do not live in New Jersey, like, so, and have to do research, like I did, on what it is, is essentially... A, a humanoid figure with like little wimpy demon wings and a bird skull face and like the rest of the head is feathered and he lives in Victorian England and is part of I think they call it essentially like it's not it's, it's not the nightlife but uh it's not called the nightlife but they have uh they live essentially oh it's they call it Brookham Night I'm on the website right now uh but it is set in in and around this Victorian town in England called Brookham. And but it has this whole other culture called Brookham Night, which is made up exclusively of all of the supernatural creatures and people that live in and around this town. So like the daytime belongs to the regular humans and then the nighttime is when 
the Jersey Devils and the Vampires and the Banshees and the Giants come out and they have their own culture. And so Alcott Grimsley is essentially the de facto, like, detective and mystery solver for this supernatural Victorian town. This this webcomic is hitting everyone in my buttons. <laughs> this is so good. Uh, any... Pretty much, you've got a good chance of hooking me if you employ uh, like Victorian urban myth and if you employ a secret world. That's gonna just hook right into me. It's uh, I, I, I wish I wish the <laughs> people in charge of Universal's stupid Dark Universe series that's gonna be garbage uh, had bothered to think about this in any meaningful <laughs> way because they could have had gold yeah. on their hands. Um, yeah. But why go listen, for money when why go for gold when you could have green i guess that's their perspective yeah listen i could have fixed the mummy with just a couple of tweaks to the overall story and it would have been a million times better because it would have actually been a good like temptation seduction tale and it would have been great anyways that's not what we're talking about uh you should tell- have been on i will fight you if you're gonna talk about the, <sighs> the mummy like that i i can look uh, <laughs> anyone out there who knows people that want to talk about that movie, I can fix that movie demonstrably. Hey. AKA shout out to Annie and Kit and Mac. Listen, if y'all are listening, y'all want me on to do that. I will yell about that movie. It could have been perfect <laughs> and it wasn't, it was dumb. Um, anyways, <laughs> because we've rambled about other things and I really want to get back to this. Tell me about this art. Okay, well, as I am sure that you already have noticed, uh, Matt likes uh, gothic art, and this is definitely gothic art. Uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of spiky, it, it's a lot of spiky lines uh, with a lot of muted colors. Uh, uh, Ramina does so many; she does a lot of different. There's a lot of variation in her character designs. Again, with with different body shapes and everything and in in like silhouettes and she pulls a lot of and so a lot of the art is made up of the more muted color tones especially because it's it the town is literally called brookham night so it is set in uh and so it's set during the nighttime so you're not gonna have you know super bright and inspiring colors it's all gonna be it's gonna be the more muted tones of dusk and dusk and the darkness of night and like the light just before the dawn so and also she does a lot of really great work with like building the victorian settings like the the victorian fashion is on point uh the architecture is great uh she has so much and again line her lines are just her line work is just really great it's uh, again, I'm I'm only looking at this first page, and like uh, the detail that like the very very small details that she has in the in the cityscape views that she puts are one mm-hmm. that's amazing. Like I've I've recently realized again that I enjoy drawing maps, and mm-hmm. it's a disease, and I keep doing it, and I can't stop. <laughs> Somebody help me! I I now if I have a free minute when I'm not dissertationing packing or panicking about the future or podcasting um (laughs) or any combination of all three yeah which happens a lot more than i'd care to admit um 
I I have a couple of different maps that I will just like draw and add on and color in and you know enjoy creating worlds. Um, there's a whole podcast that let's see when is this coming out? Uh, yeah. So Alan and I just launched a new podcast. Uh, that's all about creating worlds and. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, Spoiler you're hearing about alert. this for the first time because <laughs> this is being recorded, pulling back the curtain, uh, a couple weeks before it airs. So um, I will keep I will keep myself posted. And yeah, actually, so- uh, since you love maps so much, uh, she's actually made a a couple of different maps with information about the about the town, and I just sent you the link if you want to look at that. Uh, if you want to look at that webpage, but she's built up maps and she's done construction for this world so it's not just an isolated town there's information about areas around it and how and how like the town has grown and developed and everything that's that's amazing like i love when a creator does stuff like that but the other thing that really gets me about about this first page besides the colors like the whole page the whole scene is shifting into night it's the sun setting across the page um but the other thing that gets me is I could go not too far away from where I'm living right now and pretty much see this view. Uh, I was yeah. just wandering around Edinburgh in real time yesterday. Um, this would be several weeks ago. Uh, and there are so many things that like I'm looking at some of these deals and like, oh, yeah, she did her research. That is very clearly that's very English city design there. Mm-hmm. I know some some people may be offended that I'm claiming edinburgh as english city design and i apologize (laughs) to those people because it's definitely scottish but you you understand the point i'm trying to make architectural tradition yes um yeah this is there is some amazing detail and man this is this is another one i'm gonna have to dig in on because uh it's hitting all the right buttons oh yeah they have one one thing that I also love besides the artwork is that she pulls so much from kind of similar to namesake and how they have uh, and how they pull in different aspects of mythology and then reinterpret in different ways. Like the main the main cast of characters, uh, just looking through the main cast page, there is a Jersey Devil, which is commonly associated with uh, with obviously the state of New Jersey in the United States of America, but it originated in England, so there's one of those. Uh, there is there's a, there's a Norse Jotun as part of the main cast. Uh, there's a guy named Ilias who is... Uh, I don't know exactly what he is. I'm sure it'll be addressed at some point. Uh, but there, there's a bookseller who is, who is Muslim, um, but he is also a vampire and he has his old he has his whole own arc about the, about the ramifications of being of being muslim and being a vampire when you know the whole point of when well not the whole point of but one aspect of of islam is not is not, like not not killing and he has to kill in order to survive and he has kind of his own this character uh, uh Mehmed Zainel has his own kind of mini arc that you can buy as a separate uh as a separate book within this comic of his life and his storyline and it's so interesting and I was I've, I found this I found this webcomic at like 10 o'clock on like a Thursday night or something and I was binge reading it and I got to the part about 
his story. And by the end of it, I was like legit holding back tears because it's just, it's so heartfelt. And it's told, it's, yes, it's a story about this vampire and about this cast of monsters, but it's told with such humanity. It's just, it's so incredible. Well, that's, that's the best thing that a monster story can ever do is to mm-hmm. tell it from a human viewpoint. Uh, because that that does two things. One is it is it allows you to ask other questions about human nature uh, that we've kind of talked about previously. Um, mm-hmm. But it also lets you look at the monstrous that's in everyone. It's monsters oh, yeah. exist for a reason because it's the only way to talk about the monstrous things that people do. Um, oh, definitely. As as much as I just truly wish that there was that kind of magic in the world, or maybe still in the world, uh, it, uh, most monster stories are metaphor. And oh yeah, definitely. Uh, but but what what's kind of even more hooking me on this is we have, as a culture, as the world culture, we have predominantly seen like vampire mythology done from the traditional Western viewpoint. Uh, <laughs> Twilight. They're not vampires. Bite your tongue. That's <laughs> well. I'm. I mean, introducing vampires back into pop culture. <sighs> it, I, I'm not saying that they're a good interpretation of vampires. I'm just saying they got a lot of young uh, young people and young adults hooked on the concept of vampires. Not necessarily the best definition of vampires, but I will begrudgingly I, grant you that point because it's true. But I, I rarely want to associate anything good with Twilight. Uh, I'm sorry if you. Eh, if anyone, same. If anyone oh. out there enjoys that, I'm real sorry if I'm if I'm ruining your fun. But um, uh, to quote me on Jake Twitter, and Griffin, don't want to yuck your yums. <laughs> yeah, I, I, look at me on Twitter. We can have a talk about it. I have strong opinions, and I can point you to good vampire stories that aren't just Draculas. So, um, man, Christina, thank you so much. These are some amazing comics. You are welcome. And I have many, many more in my stable. I, I, not, I get the f- not that I've personally worked on, but that I love. I, I have a feeling that uh, I'll probably be having you back on here in the next few months or so to, to give us another round of these. Uh, I, I need to get Jake back on to talk about some more James Bond, so I feel like I might just have some themes going on here. Um, there we go. Listen, this has, been, this has been a ton of fun. Um, so... Christina, where can people find you on the internet? All right, well, people can find me on the internet. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Tumblr at Christina Woods Art, uh, but I am most but I am mostly available for conversation, especially on my Twitter, which is at C Woods Art, because Twitter doesn't like people with long first names. No, they... and I I feel like I've said that every time I've been on so far. I mean, look, it's not, it's not a, it's not a bad or incorrect point. So, I, <laughs> Christina, thank you so much. You are most welcome. I am very glad to have introduced you to some web comics that it sounds like you are very interested in reading. And I hope our listeners are too. Um, so until next week, uh, man, go read these comics, guys. <laughs> yes, Bye. read them. You can find us on the internet at fifthdraw.com. Follow us on Twitter at FifthDraw, or email us at social at FifthDraw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Hoodley. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give us a rating and review, or maybe tell a friend? Getting the word out helps us immensely. Our music is Arcade Montage by Lee Roosevelt and can be found at the Free Music Archive. 
That's all for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. And hey, thanks for listening. (laughs) 